passage is going to be found in Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew 6, you know, the topic of prayer is one of those wide-ranging topics found in God's Word. Uh, from uh, Genesis to Revelations, you, you read about somebody praying, somebody being involved in, in praying. Uh, the largest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, that is a book of prayer. Uh, all through the book of Psalms, you read about, uh, uh, you know, what to pray and how to pray. And if you want to be instructed on prayer, if you want insight into, into prayer, uh, the book of Psalms is a, is a good place to go to for your own personal time, your own personal study about prayer. Uh, simply put, the word prayer expresses for us the, the largest and the most, uh, really the most comprehensive approach that we have uh, to God. The word uh, prayer gives both uh, prominence to the element of worship and devotion. Uh, prayer also is an expression of, of uh, communion and communication with God. It's a time of fellowship with the Lord. It's just, it's just uh, that, that avenue by which we can be in the very presence of the Father. Very presence of the Father. And as you read through the Word of God, you see uh, prayers of confession. You read about prayers uh, coupled with uh, fasting. You've got prayers uh, focused on worship and praise. You've got prayers of intercession. You've got prayers beseeching strength. I mean... Any, any facet of life is covered by this word prayer as found in the word of God. And along with the Bible, there is a myriad of books written about prayer. I mean, there is a myriad of books written about prayer. Just like the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, of the making of books, there is no end. And the, boy, I tell you what, that's especially too, uh, true about this topic of prayer. I know in my own personal library, I've got three full shelves of books just on prayer, just on prayer. And uh, you can go to any, any uh, Christian library or whatever, and you're just going to find a whole section just on the topic of prayer. Uh, and honestly, you can read all of those books, and you really won't come any closer to grasping what prayer is really all about and the value of prayer, and they help. Uh, but, um, you know, prayer is just one of those topics. Uh, besides uh, all of the uh, books on prayer, and there's all sorts of opinions about prayer and all sorts of experiences about prayer. And everyone has their own testimony and their own insight in the, in, about prayer. And there's so much information about prayer, it just, it just makes your head spin. It just makes your head spin. And so uh, when I was asked to teach on this topic, um, I began praying, uh, what does one say about prayer that hasn't already been said, you know? Um, and, you know, honestly, I'm going to confess, I don't think I'm going to accomplish that. I really don't think I'm going to accomplish that. I, I may not say anything new to any of you folks about prayer, and so it's not so much the information about prayer that I hope to communicate but rather, I hope to communicate something that will renew our mind about prayer. That'll give us a, a, an insight in prayer that maybe we haven't considered before. So I ask myself, you know, what, what better place to begin to look uh, concerning prayer and in, in how it can renew our minds, how it can conform us more into the image of Jesus Christ in regards to prayer and so I asked myself, well, what did Jesus have to say about the topic? 
What did Jesus have to say about this topic of prayer? And so that's where we're gonna that's where we're gonna go. We're gonna go to Matthew chapter six, and we're gonna start in verse five. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at what Jesus had to say about prayer. So Matthew chapter six, verse five, we read, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So I titled this first part, part one about prayer, the what and what nots about prayer. The what and what nots about prayer. You know, as, as in all things in life, whether it's secular or religious, there is a right way to do something, and there is a not-so-right way to do something, right? And, that, and that's true in, in, in this, in, uh, about prayer as well. Uh, just as in our day, so also it was true in the, in the Lord's day, there was misunderstanding concerning prayer. Uh, there was even abuse in, associated with this topic of prayer. So what we're going to see is that the Lord's not so much concerned with the method of prayer, as some can be, uh, nor is the Lord so much concerned about the place of prayer, even though he does mention a closet. But what you're going to discover is that the Lord is more concerned with one's heart attitude about prayer. What is your heart attitude when you pray? What is the hard attitude in your prayer? So, the Lord says here, he gives us two examples. The hypocrite and the vain repeater. And what does he say about these two examples? Don't be like these. Don't be like these. So, let's take a look at this. Verse uh, 5 of Matthew 6. He says, and when thou prayest. When thou prayest. That's an expectation. Okay? That is an expectation. That is an expectation from the Lord that we are to pray. He doesn't say here, uh, just in case you pray. He doesn't say here, uh, when you finally get around to it with your busy schedule. He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. That's an expectation. That's an expectation. You know, another time the Lord addresses this topic with his disciples is found in Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, we read in verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. You know, Peter, in 1 Peter 2.21, tells us that Jesus is our example. 
Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, he is, he is our example in, as far as our relationship with the Father in heaven. And what these men saw in Jesus was something they did not see in the relig- religious leadership of their day. What they saw in Jesus, even in the matter of praying, was something that they did not see in the religious leadership of their day. The rabbis and the scribes, the Pharisees, no man prayed like this man Jesus prayed. No man prayed like this man Jesus prayed. Even if you read casually through the Gospels, you can't help but notice that prayer was a very large part of the Lord Jesus' life. You can't help but read through the Gospels. Jesus is always in prayer. Always in prayer. I also uh, believe that within their own minds, these men sensed a deficiency in their own relationship with God. When they saw Jesus and listened to Jesus and and heard Jesus pray, that brought out a deficiency in their own life. Because when Jesus prayed, it wasn't a loquacious, long-winded, formal pray that they were used to from the Pharisees. But when Jesus prayed, it was a prayer of communication and love, communion with the Father in heaven. There was a reality, there was a life about Jesus' prayers that pricked their hearts and they desired this very same thing. That's why they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. We want that same connection. We want that same relationship. We want that same faith, that same truth, that same sincerity. They saw the Pharisees. They saw the scribes. They saw the emptiness. They saw the ceremony. They saw the formalism. They saw dead religion. And they didn't want anything to do with that. They didn't want any part of that. They observed in Jesus what was missing in the religion of their day, a reality of life, a relationship, and a faith that was real. And they picked that up in his prayers. Picked that up in his prayers. Another time Jesus speaks to his disciples and he was teaching them concerning prayer and he, and he instructs them through a parable. In Luke 18:1, he was uh, giving them the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. But this is what he says in verse 1 of, 18, of Luke 18. He says, He spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Again, let me remind you, he's speaking to his disciples about prayer. Right? Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is one who believes in Jesus as their Savior and follows him as as their Lord. Right? They want to learn from Jesus. What Jesus said to these men so long ago in that men ought always to pray and not to faint, does that apply to you and me as well? 
Yes, it does. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to be his disciple, yes, it does apply. It does apply. In fact, I would dare say that prayer should be as much a part of our relationship with the Lord as our breathing and eating is a part of our daily life. The disciple will emulate their master. And so as disciples of Jesus Christ, we should pray. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. You know, the Apostle Paul says pretty much the same thing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 17 and 18, he says, Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Not only, ought, uh, not only should men ought always to pray and faint not, but we see it's God's will <laughs> that we pray. You know, so many of God's people, so many believers are wringing their hands. What's God's will for my life? What's well, right here. Pray. That's God's will. Pray. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray, when you pray. Luke 6, 40, Jesus said, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Now let me ask you a question. Did Jesus pray? Was he not the son of God? Was he not Emmanuel, God in the flesh, but yet he prayed? But yet we're supposed to be like him? So what's our excuse? Is there an excuse? There is no excuse. So to make the point about when ye pray, praying is a key element in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a good disciple of Jesus Christ, then you better find out about what praying is all about. Okay, Jeff, what about the word when? In Mark 6, 5, when thou prayest. What does the Greek word concerning when say? Surely we can gain deeper insight if we go to our strongs and look it up. Okay, let's do that. It's the Greek word, hotan. And it's translated as whenever, whensoever, or as soon as. <laughs> Did that help any? No, we don't need to go to the Strongs to understand what this is saying to us. This is telling us that this praying is an expectation of our Father. This praying is an expectation of our Lord to his disciples. This should be a common occurrence taking place in our life day by day, moment by moment. It's not when we can squeeze in the time. You know, a very close friend of mine taught me about this common occurrence years ago by his example. I would often meet with him on the job site when I worked for TWA. And so I'd go look him up and I'd I'd say, hey, I got a prayer request. 
And so he'd say to me, well, Brother Jeff, let's pray about that right now. And he'd stop what he was doing, no fanfare, no big production. And he'd say, Brother Jeff, let's pray about it. And he would just start praying. He'd just start praying. It didn't last hours. It was just a prayer when I came to him. You see, some of us religious folks have a, have a way of turning prayer into some form of uh, formality. A special duty. Uh, it gets all weighed down by customs and traditions. Some of uh, us religious folks, uh, we even commit prayers to memory. We have prepackaged prayers that we pray. The Lord's Prayer is one of them. That's not the intention of that prayer. We're going to look at that. Some of God's people even make it out to be something that has to be done in a specific place, in a specific time. I even know of some Christians who consider prayer a burden. They act put out when they need to pray. It's like they're in a hurry to get it done. That's not the heart of prayer. That's not the heart of prayer. Do you think it's the heart attitude that's the key? Sure it is. In anything in our relationship with God, it is the heart attitude that's key. That's what the Lord's concerned with. You know, the body of Christ has always benefited from men and women who pray. I love to be around people who pray. And you know, there's some of God's people they're so accustomed to praying, it's like they slip on a pair of old, comfortable shoes. You can tell. They've spent some time with the Father. I love being around those people. I love being around those people. You know, ideally, prayer for the saint of God should be second nature. It should be as, as, as natural as a husband talking to his wife and a wife talking to her husband. A mother talking to her child or a child talking to its mother. Unfortunately, folks become unaccustomed to speaking with the Father. And so their prayers are laborious, awkward. You know, tragically, tragically the church today is being exposed to um, folks who are in positions of spiritual leadership. And yeah, I'm going to be very frank. Those of you who know me know that's what I am. We've got some leaders in the church who have given themselves over to idolatry and spiritual drunkenness and avarice, and they make merchandise of the church. 
and they are teaching their congregation a selfish form of prayer. It's a self-serving form of prayer. To these types, prayer is a means to an end, a way to twist and manipulate, and even, I've heard it said, force God to do as you will. They teach that God is obligated to you. That's not prayer. That's blasphemy. Folks are taught today to pray for selfish desires, to enrich themselves in material goods. There is no concern for spiritual welfare of the lost. That's not prayer. That's not prayer. Popular teaching about prayer today is more about the blessing than the one from whom all good things come. You know, I believe what these men experienced with Jesus when they observed and listened and even were invited at times to be part of Jesus' prayers, they witnessed a man entering into the throne room of grace. And that's where they wanted to be. That's where they wanted to be. You know, in the Old Testament, King David was such a man. Read through his Psalms. There was a man who had communion with God. And there was a man who knew how to enter into the courts of God. Psalms 55, 16, he says, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He had delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. Do you hear the, the confidence in that prayer? The faith and the trust in that prayer? Here was a man who, who knew his God. And he prayed that way. Prayer is the avenue through which God supplies our needs. It's the channel of God's grace through which all of God's goodness flows to us. We have not because we ask not. Prayer of faith is the condition by which all foes are overcome. That's what he says here in Psalms 55. Once again, the words of Jesus, for men ought always to pray and faint not. David was a warrior king. He was constantly dealing with enemies, both the enemies of his own flesh and the enemies that were seeking to kill his flesh. But David was a man who knew where his power in warfare resided. Perhaps one of the reasons why David was a man after God's own heart was because David was always communing with his God in prayer. 
You read through the book of Psalms and you read the whole gamut of human emotion. You read despair and elation. You read depression and exaltation. With David, it wasn't if he prayed, but when he prayed. Now, perhaps the reason why we're not experiencing victory is because we're either not praying or we fainted. We've given in to the foe. Again, the issue is not if you pray, but when you pray. Is God continually hearing your voice? Is that line of communication always open? Daniel was another man who knew the vital power and importance of when thou prayest. Just like David, Daniel was surrounded by his, by his own enemies. He had those who hated him. Daniel 6.10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Don't miss that. You see, the only way his enemies could find some way to get at Daniel was to get him through his relationship with God, and his relationship with God was evident by his praying, as he did aforetime. They knew their man. They knew their man. You know, when I feel defeated or overwhelmed or become overly anxious, like when I had to come here and, and teach this lesson, it's because I need to pray. It's not about me. It's not my strength. It's not my word. You know, sometimes we drop the shield of faith by our failure to pray. And I believe it's the arm of prayer that upholds the shield of faith. Have you let that shield drop? <clears throat> vigilance. Redeeming the time. Vigilance. Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36. I apologize for not allowing you guys getting there. But I only got so much time and I got so much material. But if you're quick, Luke 21, verses 34 through 36, this is what it says. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, and take heed to yourself, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares, for as a snare shall it come upon, come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. And this is what he says in verse 36. Watch ye therefore and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. You know, Paul forewarned us in 2 Timothy 3.1, we live in perilous times. Do we not live in perilous times today? If you don't think we do, you better open your eyes. 
And they're becoming more parents. I sometimes think we forget this and we become complacent like sentries who have fallen asleep. Prayer is an essential part of our walk with the Lord. It's essential in these perilous times because you know what watching and praying does? It keeps you alert. What is it the military says? It, it keeps your head on a swivel. Keeps you alert. Keeps you mindful. Keeps you circumspect. Keeps you redeeming the time because the days are evil. So once again, it's not if you pray, but when you pray. Redeeming the time. And speaking of time, be sensitive to the time. Be sensitive to the time when you pray. Psalm 63, verses 4 through 7. If you're jotting these things down, 63, 4 through 7. He says, thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Again, Psalms 42, 8, that the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me in my prayer unto my God of my life. Psalms 119, 147 through 149, I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried, I hoped in thy word. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. In the morning, then again at noon, then in the middle of the night, the Lord would hear this man's voice in prayer. In the meditations of, of his heart, the attitude, the heart attitude of prayer is to keep in constant contact with the Father. Morning, noon, and night. You think God would have been annoyed by David when he heard from David at 3 o'clock in the morning? Or 6 o'clock in the morning before God had his coffee? No, because our God never sleeps. And our God is always attentive to his children. And his ears are always inclined to hear from the righteous. Many years ago, I had a pastor friend tell me that when he went to bed at night, he took his phone off the hook. Because he didn't want to be bothered by any of his congregation that may have called him in the middle of the night with a crisis. And he told me, he said, if it's a crisis at 3 o'clock in the morning, it will still be a crisis at 7 o'clock when I get up in the morning. Well, that man's no longer a pastor. You see, the point is, is we can call on God any time of the day or night. For he desires to hear from us. He desires to hear from us. 
God never takes his phone off the hook, folks. He never takes his phone off the hook. Now, we're going to talk about closet time, maybe, if I get there. But I want you to understand that prayer is more than just a moment in time. Prayer is the very breath of the saint of God. That constant communication doesn't take a special occasion. That blessed fellowship doesn't happen when you're called out from the congregation to close in prayer. You don't have to come on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night to pray, though we do that. Our Father wants to hear from us because he wants to be involved in our lives. And we can do that through prayer. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Now the biblical idea here stated by having one's mind stayed on the Lord means to lean on him. To rest our minds upon the Lord. And what better way to rest and lean upon the Lord than in prayer? That constant communication with the Father. That communion, that blessed fellowship as you move about your day. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Take your worries to him. Take your concerns to him. Take your fears to him. Let him know what's going on in your heart. Well, doesn't he already know? Well, yes, he already knows, but he wants to hear it from you. Because we need to tell him. Because it's us that needs to know that he hears us. When John F. Kennedy was the 35th president of the United States, there was a moment during a high-level press conference and his daughter Caroline who I think was about three years old at the time interrupted the press conference came up and took a hold of her father's hand and led him away from the microphone and there's all the TV cameras and all the reporters standing there wondering what is he going to do Jack Kennedy allowed his daughter to lead him away behind the curtain so she could have some personal time with her daddy who was the president of the United States. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession 
For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our Father rules the universe. And we have an open invitation into the very throne room of grace. Why aren't we taking advantage of that? I don't read anywhere in that passage where I have to make a, an appointment to meet his schedule. My God's bigger than that. He's got millions of children. But he's always got time for you. Some years ago, when we were members and serving in another church, I received a phone call from one of our members that lived across the street from the church building we were in. And she informed me that there was a distraught man trying to break into the church, and could I please come and help him? At the time, we only lived about three minutes from the church by car, so I hopped in the car, not really sure what it was I was getting myself into, but I drove to the church, and sure enough, there was this man pulling on the doors of the church trying to break into the church. And so I got on my car, and I asked, is there something I can do for you? Is there something I can help you with? And he says, I've got to get in. I've got to get in. I've got to get in so God will hear me. I've got to get in. You see, this poor man was laboring under the misconception that so many people are mistaken about and that you've got to be in a certain place in order for God to hear you. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What I tried to help this man to come to understand is that you don't have to be inside the building for God to hear. You don't need to break down the doors of the church in order for God to hear your praying. God hears you wherever you're at. We don't have to be in a temple. We don't have to be beside a wall. We don't have to have our foreheads pressed down on a floor lying on a rug. We don't even have to be in a closet for God to hear us. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. God hears our prayers, whether we're behind prison bars, or sitting in a classroom at school, or in a doctor's waiting room, or trying to get a stubborn packing, packaging machine to run. So point one about prayer is a matter of when 
ye pray and not if ye pray. The expectation of the Father in heaven is that he wants to hear from his children. He wants to hear from his children on earth. And he wants to hear from us often. You know, one of the saddest things to me when I go to, well, when you could, when you go to these care facilities and you speak with some of the folks that are in these care facilities, some of those folks haven't heard from their children in years. Why do we treat our Heavenly Father that way? Colossians 4.2 says, continue and pray and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Prayer, that comprehensive word that gives prominence to devotion and worship, is a hard attitude of continual communion and fellowship with the Father in heaven. What a privilege that is. What a privilege that is. I'm not going to finish. Surprise, surprise, right? But with that in mind, let me at least address this first example. Don't be like this. Matthew 6, 5, he says, And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. That's pretty clear. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now after what I just talked about, think for a minute about this hypocrite. I mean the very reason... The very nature of prayer and being a time of devotion, a time of praise, a time of fellowship, a time of communication and communion with the Father, just the very nature of prayer should tell you, no, I don't want to be like this hypocrite. Now, what is a hypocrite? I think we all have an understanding of what a hypocrite is. But let me get all scholarly on you. In ancient theaters of Greece and Rome, the actors used to hold a mask in front of their face. And that mask would portray a certain character or a, a, an emotion. And these masks served uh, some important, important purposes in, in the theater. Uh, they, had, they had exaggerated expressions, anger, jealousy, whatever. So the, the people who were watching the play, they could understand what's going on. Um, they also allowed the, the actor to play more than one role and even more than one gender. So it was a very versatile tool for the actor. Uh, and some of the masks, they had a little, kind of like a little megaphone in them. So when the actor would speak through the mask, the people sitting way up, in the cheap seats, they could still hear the, the dialogue going on as they recited their lines. 
And um, often you'll see these two masks in uh, drama clubs, like in high school and college and stuff like that. That's where it came from. Uh, the word hypocrite ultimately came into the English, English language from the Greek, and it, it means simply that, an actor or a stage player. And in fact, the Greek word is a compound word that literally is translated an interpreter from underneath. Now, when you think about them using a mask, that's exactly what they were doing. They were interpreting a, an emotion or a role underneath the mask. They were playing a role. Later on, the, the Greek word <coughs> talked about a person who was wearing a figurative mask. Someone who was playing a role that they really were not. A hypocrite. A phony. A fake. Right? They were trying to portray themselves as something that they were not. And that's what Jesus is talking about here as far as the hypocrites are concerned. They are portraying themselves to be one thing to others, but in reality they were something entirely different. For the hypocrites standing on the street corner that Jesus talks about them, <coughs> for them praying was a show. It was a show. They were putting on an act. It wasn't that they were communing with God. They were communicating an appearance before others. Playing a part. Jesus also talking about these men in Matthew 23, 5 says, But all their works they do to be seen of men. To be seen of men. That's what they were all about. That's why they did this. That's why they did this. They wanted to appear something before men that they were not. They wanted to appear to be prayer warriors. Pious. Pious men. They wanted to be seen to be all that in a bag of chips spiritually. That's what they were all about. Why? Again, why would they do this? Well, Jesus, again, who knows the heart of men, he says in John 12, 43, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. This is the reward that Jesus is speaking of when he says they have their reward. Oh, look at brother so-and-so. He is so godly and his prayers are so long and eloquent. Or look at sister so-and-so. She's such a prayer warrior. And you know how I know she's such a prayer warrior? Because she reminds me of it all the time. It's really a form of prideful boasting, isn't it? To play this part before others to receive their praise. But can you see the flaw in the hypocrite's part playing? Oh, they might be able to fool you and me. 
We might be able to pull the wool over my eyes, but guess whose eyes they can't put the wool over? Yeah. Isaiah 29, 15 says, Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? See, the hypocrite honestly fails to see this about themselves or herself. They fail to see this. And why is that? Well, I'm going to say because they don't have a genuine relationship with the Father. That's why. They're more about impressing men than they are in getting in contact with the Father. What is the key to a good relationship? Communication. If you're not communicating with the Father, what does that say about your relationship? This part playing by these hypocrites, what it brings to my mind is what uh, God said to Samuel when Samuel went to Jesse's house. Looking for a king to replace Saul. And Samuel was impressed with Jesse's boys, wasn't he? But God wasn't. And why wasn't God impressed? Well, because man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That's the key issue. You see, (laughs) the hypocrite... They're all about impressing others. But they'll never fool God. God's never impressed by these pious gas bags. There I go again, being frank. Now, all the while, these types, they recite these flowery, eloquent prayers with their mouths, but their conscience about performing before an audience. And I believe their heart is far from God. They speak empty words because their heart is empty of God. And this is why a hypocrite hypocrite is such a fool by nature. Because they think they're putting one over, even on God. Even on God. I mean, the very nature of prayer, which is devotion and worship and communication and fellowship with the Father... That speaks against this hypocrite. That's not prayer. What they're doing is not praying. And notice the uh, two stages upon which these individuals choose to perform this little act of theirs. In the synagogue. Uh, Today that would be the church. The church. The very place where folks come together and they're supposed to worship God in spirit and truth, these folks are putting on an act. And you know what? It's really easy to put on an act in the church. It really is. It really is easy to showcase your flesh and live out a lie before others. But... um, Matthew 23, 14, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. What does it mean 
by pretense. To pretend. And then, it, not only in the synagogues, but in the corners of the street, out and about in public places. Remember, these ties have to keep up appearances, like Mrs. Bouquet or Mrs. Bucket. Some of you guys know. So to stay in character when they, when they see that they have a suitable particular audience, then, you know, they're going to put on this pious mask. They've got to keep up appearances. They've got to keep up appearances. They speak Jesus speak. Proverbs 27, 14 says, He that blesses his friend with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. Okay, here's where I'm going to come across as a, a bad guy. Um, through experience, I have become um, wary of those who put forth a loud, almost boastful public display concerning their religion or faith or whatever. You know, the kind that always go around, praise Jesus and glory to God and hallelujah. I know I'm terrible. But what I've seen with not all, but some of these people, it's pretense. Because the same person that I'll hear praise Jesus will stub their toe and, yeah. And I'll tell you what, some of the meanest people I know are Christian people. But yet they praise Jesus all day long. The point is sincerity of heart. Reality. What the Old Testament used referred to as a perfect heart. A perfect heart. What we want to be is real in our relationship with God, even when we pray. I don't know about you guys. I, I mean, I'm a man who's flawed. I've got my shortcomings, and I've said some, and done some pretty stupid things. But the one thing I want to be is I want to be real. I want to be genuine. I want to be sincere. I may mess up. I may let you down. But I want to be real. I don't want to play the game. I don't want to play the game. Now, this hypocrite standing on the street corner, does that speak against praying in public? No. No, I don't think it does. I don't think it, it, it speaks against uh, praying in public. When my family goes to a restaurant, before we eat, we quietly bow our heads and we say our thanks, ask God to bless the food and the company. We don't make a big deal out of it. That's what we do. I got a story. In contrast to that, 
I went with a group of men to a, a seminar or a conference. I don't remember what it was. And we were at a restaurant. And we were, it was lunchtime. We were at a restaurant. And as the waitress, and I don't know how they do this, but as this little waitress was bringing our food to the table, I mean, she had her both arms full of plates, right? I don't know how, I don't know how they do it. But she comes to our table, and she's getting ready to set our food down. And one of our men chose that particular time to start giving thanks at the top of his lungs. And he gave thanks for everything except for the kitchen sink where those dirty dishes were going to end up in. And that poor little gal didn't know what to do. She was placed in this awkward position. Do I, do I interrupt? Do I put the plate? What do I do? We're a peculiar people. But not that peculiar. Not that peculiar. And any chance to witness this old gal just went out the window. In fact, she avoided us like the weirdos we must have appeared to be. Luke 6.26 says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. To speak well of you means that men are receiving the glory that, re- that rightly belongs to who? The Lord. When God's people are doing what they do, such as praying in order to be seen of men and be praised by men, then all honor goes to who? Now, the, the, the hypocrites. Who really deserves the glory? Only one I can think of. Only one I can think of. And it's the admiration, admiration of others that motivates the hypocrite to play, to play this part. It's the love of audience that moves them. Uh, like the proverbial question, if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it fall, does it make a noise? Well, if the hypocrite is not seen praying, does that mean that they don't pray at all? Think about that. The crucial matter is always issue of heart attitude. And I would think especially in prayer. Is it the phony heart that God listens to or is it the sincere heart? Does God want to hear a hypocrite or does he want to hear his child? You see, the hypocrite lowers prayer to the level of a performance. And the only thing they're concerned about is perfecting their art. The prayer of the sincere disciple of Jesus Christ What they want is the ear of the Father. That's what they're seeking. They're seeking the ear of the Father. Turn to Luke chapter 18. This is a very uh, well-known passage. 
Luke 18. I'm hoping at least I can get to the hypocrite. <laughs> Luke 18, verse 9. Here we're seeing a contrast between sincere and insincere. He says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to what? Pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And this is Jesus' own words here. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You know, between these two men, it was not what the boastful Pharisee had said that was so much out of line, but rather it was his heart. That's why he said what he said. It was because his heart was out of line that what he said is out of line. And I think it's very insightful to read of this Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. You see, the focus of the prayer said by the hypocrite is self. The chief concern is their own interests. They're deceived in believing that God in some way owes them. And ain't God blessed to have someone like myself as his own. Hebrews 4.16 again, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you realize, beloved, that you are the most privileged people on this planet? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are the most privileged person on this planet because we have an open invitation into the very throne room of grace where Jesus Christ himself sits on the right hand of glory. Now we have this right, not because of who we are, because of who he is and what he has done for us. And for us to brazenly enter into the throne room thinking that God owes me this and that, That is not the right heart attitude of prayer. We are to approach boldly, not brazenly. To do so, do so with the heart of a hypocrite. One man wrote, we can do all things by God's aid, and we can have all of God's aid by the asking. We have not because we ask not.
prayer is the appointed means of this aid. But if you allow me to say this, a contrite and grateful heart is the expected condition of obtaining this aid. Because James tells me that God resists the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. You see, prayer is the avenue by which God freely supplies grace to our need. All you have to do is ask. If that doesn't trip your heart, I don't know what does. And the accepted channel of communication between the Father and the Beloved is praying. Praying. But some of the praying that we see among some of these popular, recognized spiritual leaders is nothing short but brazen and boastful. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. I've heard some of these men, in, the, in essence, say, you can demand God. To do this or do that. He is obligated. To fulfill your. Desire. Well I got news for them. No he's not. But he does so because he's a loving God. Proverbs 15.8 tells me the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. Hebrews 13.15 says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Now I don't know, this may be narrow minded of me. And I'm going to have to close with this because I don't have time to go any further. So we're 15 minutes early. I think the only time the Father is impressed with the eloquence of our, of our words in prayer is when those words originate from a heart full of love and appreciation adoration for his person. Not standing up there putting on a show. Not standing up there claiming that you're all that in a bag of chips. It's the humble and contrite heart. The grateful heart. The heart speaking words of love and worship that gains the ear of God. Let's be real. Amen? Okay, let me look real quick. No way. So we're just going to have to stop right there. I apologize. I get long-winded. Any comments? None at all? <laughs> Praise God. All right. I didn't hear that. Yeah, there you go. Well, let's go ahead and close in prayer. It's 15 minutes, so you can just hang out and uh, do whatever.
So I'll go ahead and close in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, it is so good that we are able to come before you and just uh, lift up our voices and our hearts and our minds and worship and praise and adoration. You are such a good and loving God. It is such a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to call you Father. And I thank you, Lord God, for the spirit that's in us and, and, and who calls out Abba, Abba Father. Now, Father in heaven, we pray that our lives would be a reflection of your son, Jesus Christ, that we would give glory to you in all that we say and all that we do. And may we never take for granted this wonderful privilege that we have. May we be careful not to become hypocrites in our hearts, but seek to be sincere and real, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I know in the bulletin it says this is for like two weeks. I asked for three weeks. Three weeks. And I dare not ask for a fourth week. So I'll do the best I can. Praise God. Nice to meet you folks. Thank you so much for coming and visiting us.